to the Forgecast. Uh, today it's just me hosting. Um, Nils and Sam are both uh, off, not well at the moment, so they've got better things to be doing with their time than talking with uh, with me. But uh, I have somebody else to keep me company today, and it is Niels Vandenberg, who I'm very excited and nerding out a little bit to be talking to, to be honest. Uh, but before we get into the show, I will uh, fire off our sponsor message. Today's sponsor is Gamaco Artisan Supplies, the place to go for your blade steels, forge kits, and burners. And they're offering an awesome deal to our Australian listeners using the code FORGECAST10, all one word. So FORGECAST10. You'll get 10% off your order of gas forge burners and accessories and blacksmith tools. This is a limited time offer that is almost over. So if you've been holding off getting that gear you've been wanting, now's the time. Certain item exclusions apply. So visit www.artisansupplies.com.au for more details. All right, Niels Vandenberg. It's really, really cool to have you on the show, mate. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, it's, um, I've been following you for quite a long time, as many uh, amateur bladesmiths probably have. You're up in the uh, the high tiers of people to follow with your... Oh, brother. You've become I famous. I need to say, I'm your, sorry to hear that. <laughs> you're, you're, you're quite famous and sometimes infamous for your ridiculous level of attention to detail. It's just absolutely mind-blowing, some of the projects that you put out with some of the... Uh, I've been watching your YouTube channel for a very long time, uh, back when you were doing the, the live videos and doing all of the chasing work and, and getting the jewelry saw out and carving in amazing shapes. And just the patience that you have is superhuman. That is just, man, well, there's an old saying that says, look, knife making will teach you two things. One is patience and the second one is a whole new range of swear words, right? Um, <laughs> so... Uh, like, for instance, when I did that main gouge build, uh, you were talking about me getting out that piercing saw, that jewelry saw. Um, uh, piercing and jewelry work and the finer things, that's that's my wife's job. She's a, a goldsmith, um, and she's been doing this for and close on 20 years. Um, and just because I'm married to her doesn't make me an expert at using those little tools. And uh, when I did that main gouge, uh, it was well down to, I need to practice. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, am I going to practice on a piece of mild steel? I'm going to practice on the real thing. So I said, well, what's the worst that can happen, right? <laughs> so I went ahead and, and did the real thing. Um, now, if you're doing that, and especially if you're trying to do it live, what that now does, it causes you to slow down. And, and that's the reason I do live. It is basically to show the process and, and uh, to tell or to let, educate the, the basic public saying, look, these things don't make themselves. It doesn't take overnight. Um, and when I tell you, look, I spent 120 odd hours just on that guard. Um, guys now see that you're spending an immense amount of time on this. And aside from that, it builds a hype around the piece. Eventually, when you're ready to sell this thing, there are a couple of guys that have already been, been looking into this and, 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 and it's easier for them to seek their hands up. But the whole idea behind this is practice, practice, and practice. And good enough is not good enough. Thank you, Mr. Tian Burger, the <laughs> good mate that, that said that to me one time, and it kind of stuck. Um, yeah. And if you go, yeah, that's good enough, you now hear him in the back of your head saying, no, 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 that's not good enough. It really elevates the craft out of a um, what where it used to be a trade, and now it is a, an art form. It is it's definitely something that passion is what fires it up and, and keeps it driving. And, and, and it's humanizing it by showing that it was literally hand done. Every saw cut, every chisel mark, every graver cut was done by hand. And uh, that really elevates the, the sense of value because I always talk on my channel on the difference between cost and value and they're two very, very different things. And when people have that sense of value, they get it from seeing those hours. And like you said, that sometimes going to the hundreds of hours, thousands of hours for some people. I mean, we had Kyle Royer on a, a few episodes ago and, and the time that he spends on some of his pieces. I mean, unless it you actually watch it happen. Yeah, unless, you, unless you're watching it happen, it's hard to believe sometimes. Yeah, but it is exciting. I mean, uh, that is just what, what inspires us, right? Uh, looking at uh, Master Kyle Royer's work, 
uh, I mean, but his blueing is just out of this world, absolutely yeah. out of his world, and and that's the reason I'm I'm doing uh, the kind of piece I'm doing this this little dagger. Um, that's the reason I decided to use the mal seal on the pommel and the guard to go and try to emulate his his uh, his blueing process. Mm. Yeah. So we see something that inspires us, and uh, now to just get that surface finish on mild steel, I know is going to be a challenge. Because yeah. there's one thing I absolutely hate when it comes to knife making, and I've said this in the past. If I had to hand sand every single knife that I've ever made, I would have stopped at knife three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, That's I, the reason I, I employ four people, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I cop a lot of flack from my co-host Sam Towns because I'm a big fan of stone wash finishes, and it's because I hate hand sanding. I just can't stand yeah, it. <laughs> so, Sam, I'm sorry to have to say, all my production knives are also man stone wash. It, yeah. it rocks. <laughs> it it's, rocks. It, it also, I mean, if you're going to have a knife that's really heavily used and it's going to be getting scratched up, why not start it out scratched? <laughs> I like that. It. It's a buying a brand new Harley Davidson and kicking it over before you start riding it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I, look at I quite agree with that. But, um, yeah, look, in my production blades, I try to uh, design a knife for a specific price point for a specific function. Um, and then you cannot spend 20 hours on hand sanding a piece to a brilliant absolute mirror's finish if you're trying to sell it for $200. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and, and that, that's what it comes down to. It's not so much um, what you want to charge for a knife. It's oftentimes what you could possibly get for it. And those two things are usually not in line. That's true, that's true. Yeah, and, and especially in and I because I kind of play in both realms, production and then uh, once off my journeyman smith stuff. And on uh, the production stuff, I want to cost a blade on screen. What I mean with that is, while I'm in the design phase, I want to design a knife which I want to sell at a specific price point. And obviously, there needs to be a margin built into that uh, for the reseller, for the guy doing the importing, for instance, to the states. Um, and then, obviously, I need to make a markup as well. I yep. need to make money. This is why we're why we're in this. Um, so when I build that prototype, it's basically to, to confirm what I have on paper, to set the price point and send it out to dealers and, and uh, get a bit of feedback, and, and then we actually go into production with the blade. But when it comes to the journeyman smith stuff, um, where I try to now focus the last over uh, two years, try to focus on like the 16, 1650 century uh, French, European, Germanic, um, pointy rapier, uh, daggery things, yeah, all those yeah. sharp and funky stuff. Uh, man, there I honestly don't care on the amount of time I spend on it, and and it's it's a absolute revelation. People go to me saying like, how much, how come you spend so much time on it? Because so, look, number one, it makes me happy. This is my happy place, and I actually do that as a hobby. So uh, all these extra hours I spend. It's not a matter of trying to get money for that. Yes, you want to sell it at, at the best possible price, but I'm in a unique position whereby I can say, look, I want to spend and, and further the craft, practice a specific skill, um, and just enjoy the process of making, um, yeah. of creating that piece. And when I'm done, I will uh, send photos to dealers um, and uh, ask around, specifically master chefs and master smiths, and say, look, what do you think I should be charging for this? But uh, then also when I sell those, I want the client buying it to feel that he got a deal. And then obviously I want to walk away with a, a nice smile on my face. Yeah, it's well, finding that true. middle ground. And uh, a lot of the guys buying my pieces are willing to, to discuss. Um, so I'd say, look, I would like to see me getting something like this. Uh, and then you put a figure out there. And I've had a guy say, look, that is ridiculous. And he offered me almost twice that amount. He says, this is where he's having pain for. Right. Um, and and I, I was completely shocked. Um, and so we settled in, in between those because I obviously don't want to rip them off. Yeah? And uh, yeah. I was quite happy with my initial price. Um, and he said, no, it's way too, too little. So, but he has now come back and he's bought six or seven pieces for me, which is uh, the long-term game. Yeah, you're building a relationship, and those clients become friends. Unfortunately, if only all customers were like that. No, no, you don't want your customers to become friends because mates, right? They are dodgy people. Yeah, that's very true. They pay for the first one, then they become good mates, and all of a sudden they want a discount, right? And discount doesn't work in my shop anymore. We fired him. He was giving shit away for free. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's actually interesting to, talk, to hear you talk about uh, the, the hobby projects because uh, uh, every uh, knife maker that I know has those and I've been working on one myself, a, uh, a hand-forged uh, cutthroat razor. And it was one of those projects that you, like you said, there's no possible way that I'd be able to charge what it's worth uh, just because of the amount of time that's going to it. It's all uh, brass lined scales with Tasmanian blackwood uh, and amethyst jewel composite mm-hmm. inlay on them. And it's, it's hand sanded to a 1200 grit finish. And there's no possible way that the, I'd be able to get my money back on it. However, sometimes you just want to do a project to see if you can and to see what you're capable of. That's it. Well, that's the reason we do this, right? Because right. we can. Yeah, exactly. And to, to hear somebody <laughs> a, of your a, caliber that does the exact same thing is actually quite validating to hear that, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I tell everyone, well, listen, um, if you don't have a long-term project that you know is completely above your, your comfort zone, completely out of your comfort zone, then, well, you're, you're basically stagnancing, right? Um, so you start, everyone is afraid of daggers. But if you break it down, daggers are extremely simple. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, right? No, don't make daggers. They're extremely complicated. Um, but if you break it down, a, a dagger, just by, you've got four, four sides to a dagger, right? Um, and if you break it down, a dagger on average is about one single face at its broadest, broadest side is about 14 millimeters, 10 to 14 mil. Right? And that, that's a minute little surface to grind. And it's easy to get that on a flat. Mm. It is more difficult to grind a bowie where you're at uh, 50 to 75, so two inches to two and a half inches broad. And if it, all of a sudden on a, on a 10-inch blade, that will press your skill. That, that'll really stretch your skill. But on a dagger, I mean, worst case scenario, you take a file, you draw file, it, chick, 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 it's, it's flat. Yeah. That's right. When it comes to hand finding a fuller on the other side, <laughs> look, it can be done. And I had a, had a student ask me, look, um, so advice, he doesn't have a milling machine, how would you go about hand filing a fuller? And I looked at him like he uh, was smoking something. So <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I've got no idea, but why would you want to do that in the first place? And he made the, the um, observation, he said, well, as far as he knows, in the 16th century, 1580, 16 to 1620, there were no milling machines. And I'm going, well, that's, uh, I don't know, I, haven't, I wasn't there, but I'm pretty sure that is a valid point. Um, so how did they do that? I think the milling said, machine well, okay. was a guy named Steve that had a sand scraper. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, that's it. So I had a choice, either go and make a scraper, or um, I was busy with a, with a dagger um, that was a door raffle knife for the uh, South African Knife Makers Guild um, show that we had back in August. Um, and uh, so this thing was already hardened, already ground, and uh, I was busy hand sanding, and I thought, well, how difficult can this be? Let's hand file a fuller. And that was four days later, <laughs> chainsaw files. And I'm now, look, it, it can be done, whether you'd be stupid enough to attempt it is a different thing. Um, but when you've got flat ground stock, um, so if you're stock removing a dagger and you've got flat ground stock, to get that fuller in is, is really, really easy. Um, and there I'm going to refer your listeners to a gentleman by, gentleman by the name of Caleb White on YouTube. He, he did a brilliant, brilliant uh, tutorial on how to hand file those fullers. And uh, Getting into contact with them and asking them a couple of questions, it, it became really apparent that I was stupid trying to do it hard. Um, but yeah, with perseverance, um, dumb luck, uh, it can be done, man. It can be isn't, done. The, isn't it funny those moments where somebody tells you a, a technique that you've been struggling with for the longest time and then somebody just says, oh, no, you just do this. And all of a sudden it just clicks and you have this aha moment. You feel like a moron. <laughs> yes, and then that kind of normally gets my little nervous titch, twitch in my left eye going. Saying, <laughs> why? I knew you, right? I knew about you. I've known that you might have done this and why didn't I just ask? Um, so that's the reason I actually set up an Instagram account. Because um, for years I've only been Facebook and, and uh, once I get a guy asking me a question two or three times, I'll record a little video and stick it onto uh, YouTube because stuff gets lost on Facebook. Mm. Um, and that's basically where the channel started. But Instagram, I was basically going and saying, look, uh, how do you guys do this? How do you guys do this? Um, and that just exploded, which is absolutely brilliant. So I'm spending a lot of time on Instagram at the moment. Yes. Um, and thoroughly enjoying it, man. Really, really enjoying it. I mean, that's where we 
we kind of hooked up, right? That's right. I've been following along with you. Uh, I mean, you're, every day there's a good 20 or 30 um, Instagram live stories on, on your page to keep up with. I was absolutely floored by that workshop tour that you did. I think it was in Cape Town where the guy had how many power hammers? Uh, two of them. Stan is a good guy. He's a good guy. And uh, I don't know if I should... I don't know. Let's not, not go into it. He is going to Blade Show next year. So Stan, the pressure is on. And he is planning to do his journeyman Smith submission. So now I've let the cat out of the bag. Now, he's, now there's no, no getting out of it, buddy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I maybe shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but Stan's a cool guy. Um, I mean, he, he went with me when uh, I did my JS in 2016. He just started, look, I'm just going to join you. And uh, we took the trip, and it was an absolutely amazing experience. Um, and anyone that, that can get to Blade Show, um, it is definitely, definitely worth it. Um, 1,500 exhibitors. Um, oh man, even before those doors open, the place is packed just by people walking around. Mm. Uh, when the doors actually open, it is an absolutely surreal experience. But to get back to the point, um, yeah, Stan is a good guy. He's now set up a workshop down in Cape Town. Uh, he's running two power hammers. Uh, Forges, he's got five or six of them there. Um, obviously, he resells my forges, which is brilliant. He resells my stock. Uh, he has a little shop. I've got a shop, and we, we both each give each other a discount. We kind of work together. And aside from that, he's a good guy. And he knows what he's doing, right? He really, really knows what he's doing. As part of the thing about the blacksmithing community is, is just such camaraderie that you don't really find in any other community that at least that i've had experience with and uh it's just full of great guys and gals that are willing to help each other and share knowledge there's no sort of uh protectiveness about technique everyone's just more than willing to talk about it but this is the beauty man um i mean it doesn't aid me anything on this it doesn't help anyone or, or uh, level you up by cording information yeah that's right yeah. And I mean, my 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 two co-hosts are both bladesmiths. Um, my I'm actually only recently a bladesmith. I got my start in jewelry, uh, and I do artistic forging. And knife making for me has been uh, only the last probably six months or so. Um, and it was actually one of your videos that got me to take the leap because I was you know quite intimidated by forging on a blade. And it was your video of how to forge a knife from round stock. You've actually got a about oh, crap. 25 minutes long where you're showing people how to do it and in exquisite detail. And I followed it to the letter and I made myself a knife and it all sort of fired it off, to be honest. And now I'm actually making oh, and selling knives. It's, um, it just continued the journey for me. Um, but, I'm I mean, glad you, to hear that, man. you've dedicated quite a lot of your life to instruction. I mean, you run the, the classes, you, you share the videos on YouTube showing techniques, you've got the Instagram live stories going and... I mean, it's just fantastic to see. I mean, is this something that you would like to eventually head towards, actually being um, your main business be instruction, or is it just a side passion for you? It is. Look, it's maybe because when I started, you had to pay for every single piece of information. The guys weren't really willing to share. Uh, there wasn't anything online, available online. Um, and then uh, I met Mr. Stuart Smith, the guy that taught me, um, and at a, at a flea market, saw him hammering steel and uh, did a two-day knife-making course with him within a week when I did that, uh, or when, when, I, when I met him, and we became really, really good mates. Um, we knocked it off or just hit it off right out, out of the bat, um, and uh, uh, the families are actually talking to each other, which is brilliant. My wife and his wife gets along, the kids get along, and we're really, truly, like, friends, right? Brilliant. Um, and it, it, it just helped me tremendously, um, and uh, my learning curve became really, really steep. Um, I put the word out on, on Facebook saying, look, I'm a, a kind of guy hitting steel in my backyard in Pretoria in South Africa. Is there anyone that does this or in my area? And all of a sudden, via Facebook, there was like 10 guys. And we started this little Tuesday get-together, Tuesday afternoons, 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, and uh, the guys would say, okay, fine, heat treating. So we'd spend a, a week each forging a blade, doesn't matter what it looked like, doing a, a rough grind on it, and then showed um, each other how we heat treated. So you got a half an hour to do your heat treat where the other guys were supposed to just shut up and listen and look and, and take away from this, make notes. Um, and then when everyone stepped through, uh, kind of sat down and we discussed this and we came up with a method that we believe, like everyone's input together, uh, this should be the way that we heat treat. So uh, went out and tested it and, and 
lo and behold, it worked, man. Yeah. So we were a very close-knit group of friends, and one of the guys, the youngest actually, was a uh, second-year metallurgy student at that time. So he kind of brought a whole new level to the things. Yeah. Um, and then uh, once I had the, the heat treat sorted, we went off to grinding and saying, okay, fine, now I can hit steel kind of competently. Well, no, not really. But <laughs> so I, I forged 50 blades um, and then bought a load of belts, uh, built my first grinder, um, spent about a year maintaining this thing and just bought the second one. Um, and basically, I, I took a year off from knife making and just learned how to grind. Literally spent the hours and learned how to grind. Um, I had a chalkboard in my shop above the grinder where I nicked off every hour. Um, and I think uh, it got rained on on at about, I think it was 14,000 hours wow. that I spent behind that grinder. Um, so I tried to grind for at least two hours a day. Um, and sometimes I could I could get six, eight hours just grinding and, and manipulating and trying to figure out how to do this um, so that I could get to a level where I could grind a four-inch hunter in a minute um, without screwing up and uh, basically saying like, once you've got the speed down, down and now you work on the precision so you now forge out two or three of these things and I ended up taking a four millimeter mild steel plate and just having one of my designs laser cut out of just normal mild steel and just because I wanted to practice plungers and grinds and the whole thing. So I ground a man. It's about 400 blanks, um, and uh, yeah. So after that, I could grind. <laughs> but that, uh, that's quite the point incredible. is that every single yeah, every every single little skill builds onto the other one. Because what I was finding is I could forge a blade, right? So what was in my mind kind of resembled out in, in steel. I got that part done. But when it came to the grinder, I was screwing this thing up. And that's where that old saying about knife makers not screwing up, we just make smaller knives. Yes. I kind of don't agree with that, right? Because you screwed up um, and realizing that you're screwing up and you don't have the skill on the grinder, and that's the shortcoming. I see that shortcoming and I have to do something about that. Because if I want to level up and actually make money out of this little hobby, which was from day one, I saw that, look, this, is, this can be a commercially viable venture. Mm. Um, and I worked towards creating building the skills in this hobby while it was still a hobby uh, up to a point where my auditors actually told me look uh, you're making more money out of the sideline hustle than you are making out of your media design and consulting agency yeah um so we kind of let that one pass and just continued making knives which was brilliant so the transition for me was fairly easy yeah yeah i mean that the, the natural uh, the, the, a lot of people sort of think that there's uh, people certain people have natural aptitude but the the fact is you only become a Niels Vandenberg or a Peter Swarsbert or a Kyle Royer by hours and hours and hours and hours of practice and the passion to That's see it. those hours through yeah look at that passion I have a lot of debt right <laughs> well there's that too you could just be passionate <laughs> about getting rid of the debts <laughs> yeah, look at uh, I, I've got a, a thing about when people say, look, at, oh, you're so lucky to do this. or It's not luck. It's freaking a lot of work. It really is. Yeah. It takes dedication. And if you're not happy in your own head, number one, don't start making knives because you're going to get bored with your own conversation. That's it. Um, number two, you need patience. You don't have patience. Don't worry. Knife maker will teach you that. Yeah. Um, but if you can't sit down and realize, look, I need to start at the bottom. Um, and a good friend of mine that is a, a karate instructor says that if you don't have your stance ready and that stance perfectly planted and practiced, doesn't matter anything that you build on top of that is going to be a bit flimsy. So if you don't have the basics down with regards to forging the tip of a blade or uh, drawing the heel of a blade and you can't do it uh, consecutively, so for instance, you're forging four blades at the same time and you're drawing the heel on all, on all of them and you can't draw that heel in four or five heats or in four or five hammer blows, then obviously that is something that you'll need to practice. Yeah. Um, and once you've got all the, the forging, well, not all of the forging techniques, um, once you know how to forge the blade that you want to forge and you can do that uh, eff effectively and efficiently and not spend 20 hours forging on a blade, well, then you move on to the next thing and the next skill and the next skill and then you see something hey this little jeweler saw let's go try that how bad can it be and that's yeah. that's <laughs> where that uh, importance comes in that you were talking about of having that passion project that you, you never go your money's worth on but there's more that you can earn than just money 
learning those lessons is something that you earn. And there's an old, old saying from Scandinavia that there's no such thing as failure. You either win or you learn. And those projects are very much about that. You may not get your money's worth in terms of dollars, but you definitely get your money's worth in terms of the lessons that it gives you. Even if you utterly fail and screw the entire thing up, there's still a lot of lessons in there. That is it. And it's uh, for us to sit down and realize what those lessons were, not seeing it as a failure, but as an opportunity. So uh, if your history didn't go right, Sit down, try to figure out what was it. There's so many variables. Uh, do you know what steel it was? Number one, is it an unknown steel? Is it a known steel? If it's a known steel, did you follow the manufacturers? He recommended he treat specifications, or did you listen to your mate with less experience than you? <laughs> did you follow some other bloke on a YouTube channel's advice uh, where he was talking about something else, um, and you think, hey, this might apply to what I'm doing? Uh, was the oil at the correct temperature? Um, mm. This is a, another thing, uh, knife makers and, and the, the temperature of the oil. Uh, the reason we tell guys to, to preheat the oil is to get a consistent result. In other words, you've got an oil. You're not going to quench in two different oils on the same steel, uh, using oil A on the first try and oil B on the second try, and uh, then you're going to go to a peanut oil and then this oil. So you're going to stick to the same oil. You want to use that oil at the same temperature, whether it's summer, winter, whether you're northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. So just lessen the amount of issues that you might come across and i mean it's so, um, so and, uh, cheap to buy a little temperature gauge that you can dip in there and see where it's at you know it's about five dollars exactly. on ebay exactly and then commercial heat treat well sorry i'm i'm this is one of my little uh pet hates is guys asking me whether i can use canola oil that'll just get my nervous deep going and I, I think i actually did a rant on youtube uh about that but enough of that <laughs> commercial <laughs> heat treat oil is so cheap. Uh, we, we literally did a, a little thing uh, here in South Africa where I went and bought five liters commercial heat treating oil and then drove to a local supermarket and, and priced five liters of canola oil. And the canola oil was more expensive yeah. than the commercial heat treat oil. Right. So why people do this, I don't know. But it's a, it's a lack of information out there. Mm. So um, it's, it's another uh, reason for the... It's one of those things well, because channel, right? it's, it's one of the downsides of blacksmithing sort of taking off in popularity because it's very easy to just start a YouTube channel and start spouting off and then somebody else will listen to you and assume that because the authority figure on my screen was saying that, then it must be correct. And really nothing beats actually getting in and trying it and then just going Jay Nielsen on your knife and trying to break it and see what happens. I mean, that guy's got some emotional issues he clearly needs to work out. <laughs> but, you know, really nothing beats... When I finish a knife, if I can't chop through a 2 by 4 of pine and then still shave paper with it, then it hasn't been heat treated properly. It's simple as that. And it, it, if it's an unknown, unknown steel, then if it, it's still got to perform that test. But, I mean, there's so much to heat treatment so many angles that you've got to consider a couple of episodes ago where i live it's it's very very cold and uh so cold that in the time it takes me to actually pull a blade out of the forge and get it to the oil it air hardens because the air is so cold it acts as a quenchant i mean we're talking negative six negative Damn. negative 10 celsius and Have so you thought about moving <laughs> <laughs> When you run a coal forge, those sort of temperatures are great. But, I mean, most people wouldn't even <laughs> consider the loss of temperature that you would get from air. That's true. That is true. When they're just dip it, dipping it in a bucket true. of canola oil and calling it good, I mean, if, if that's all you're doing, then you're clearly not taking into account the bigger picture with heat treatment. But if you want, want to get that consistency, then you do have to take into account those factors. Yeah. So what I tell the guys is that they really want to up their game with regards to heat treat. So I'm going to go and uh, go to the American Bladesmith Society website, AmericanBladesmith.com, download the Journeyman Smith test criteria. Um, go and make yourself one of those choppers, right? It is a really cool knife to have in the shop. Um, and then follow the heat treat, go and test your heat treat, make one of those things, and just in your backyard, go and see whether you will pass that test. Because that is a really, really good gauge on what a performance blade should be. And the steel, 5160, right? Yeah. Here's 5160 and done. And that kind of, well, I did that exactly on uh, when I decided, look, let, let's now test my experience on heat treat. And you think you can make a, a semi-decent knife, but you always have this thing in the back of your head. Will it perform the way I'm, I'm, I'm 
selling it, right? So um, I'm selling this knife. It's got a lifetime guarantee, and kind of everyone does that. Uh, it's got a lifetime guarantee, and the people ask, so is it guaranteed until it breaks? And I'm going, brother, you've got it. <laughs> For as long as I am around, that knife breaks, you, you've got a free ticket to come and pick another one. Um, so when you kind of do that, you need to know that that blade will perform. It will bend. If you're saying, look, this knife was made to be able to last a 90 degree bend without breaking. Look, it's not going to go back straight. And you need to be honest with your client. Look, if you're going to bend this thing in a life-threatening situation where you need to stomp this thing in a tree and stand on it, for instance, don't use one of my thin little steak knives or skinning knives. Get a, get a camper, right? Because <laughs> that'll hold your chubby ass. Um, <laughs> But then, if it bends, come back to me, it didn't break, I'll give you a new one. Yeah, because all of those just goes into my portfolio and saying, look, this is the story behind it. Yeah. And all of those stories with guys using it and, and chopping through nails and chopping through chains and uh, one guy taking a, a very early knife that I made and, and cutting a bokeh knife at the edge from it, um, his mate's knife. Um, now, I'm pretty sure that was a ripoff of a bokeh. Because mm. um, I own a couple and, and they're fairly good knives, right? Yeah. But... I mean, that little demonstration, that guy is a client for life. Go on. That's it. So it buys into the process. But now, the whole thing is if, you, if you're really not 100% sure about your heat treat, don't do that test. Mm. Yeah? And once you pass that test, really consider joining the ABS. Do your German Smith certification, because once you've got that certification worldwide, that thing actually means something. Yeah. And... Uh, my knives literally, the, the price went through the roofs when I hit, um, or the roof, when I hit JS. And uh, the ABS Adblade Show, they make a big deal of you when, when you hit JS, right? Yep. And that's exactly as, as uh, I was standing in front of the uh, hall, um, them calling us in saying, look, you either made it or you didn't. That's why I met Masters with Jay Nielsen. Um, cool guy, by the way. Yes, really, really we're cool hoping guy. to have him on the show eventually. Oh, he's a cool guy, man, and I'm pretty sure he will be joining you guys. Yeah. Well, I actually had um, talking about your knives. I mean, the, you were recently on Alex Deal's channel working on that dagger, the lathe dagger, um, and your oh, that little stiletto. It was gorgeous, but the, your role there was uh, very centered around the design of it in the first place. And I, I kind of wanted to get a bit of an insight into the, the mind of, the, of Niels Vandenberg to find out what is your process when you are staring at that blank sheet of paper, starting at a new project, one that you don't necessarily have. Say it's one of those passion projects where you haven't been given a specification of what the knife is for. There's no specific purpose it needs to meet. It's just you wanting to make something beautiful. What is the process that you go through in your head? Well, it starts way off before the head. I, I do a lot of research. Um, and because of this, the, the 1600 uh, uh, French um, German knives, the, the, the stilettos, the left-handed gouges, the, the main gouges, uh, the axes, the halberds, these things really get my juices flowing, man. So yeah. uh, on my Pinterest account, as I am surfing, I'm collecting and I'm building this little library for myself. And I lose hours on Pinterest a day. Really, really, really. So every evening I spend about two hours on Pinterest just going through and, and kind of rearranging things and kind of saying, oh, this will be cool to make and this will be cool to make. And, and then you see something that kind of tickles you and you say, hmm, that'll be cool to make. Really, that'll be cool to make. Um, so my next step would then be to, to go and uh, go through the, the guys on Facebook, on Instagram, saying, look, has anyone made anything closely resembling this? Or I foresee that I now need to, for instance, the latest project is I, I would really love to do this dagger that I'm planning in woods. Yeah. So one of my clients um, actually uh, is a, well, he's in contact with the Crown Prince of Jordan, and uh, I am waiting on some of the black iron ore that was mined in what they believe the original mine, um, where the, the, the raw materials were supplied to the town of Damask. Oh, so wow. We, we might be getting some real cool <laughs> and I'll probably screw up. Because um, I've never done this. But now we've got uh, Matthew Parkinson, um, JS, and then, uh, uh, oh, come on, uh, Mace Vitali, that's where uh, that, that uh, shares the shop, right? And they're good mates. And yesterday they made some woods. 
So I was paying really close attention. I was like, oh, dude, take, take notes. Um, you, you're going to get a call from me. Uh, this is the whole idea. I'm, I'm going to have to do this. And yeah. obviously they want to get involved, right? So, uh, yeah, man. Yeah. So it is, it's more about research, uh, tying up with other guys and saying, look, I, I know that you guys are playing with this. Um, there's also a metallurgist in the States uh, that I've recently talked to that, that's kind of trying to reproduce the whole Lloyds thing. Um, so there is obviously a lot of of um, guys that you see doing stuff um, and then well you contact them and saying look this might this is a new, new skill I need on one of these things blah, blah, blah. so long story short I do a lot of research then I will print out uh, some of these examples as inspiration I'll stick it on my wall and I'll walk past it until I get some time and I'll put my butt down in a chair and, and start doing a technical drawing um, literally as detailed as I can um, on every single aspect of this thing. So uh, even tracing paper, laying it over and, and doing multiple tiers, designing what this thing's going to look like from the front, from the top, from the back, from the bottom. Uh, in some aspects, I'll even draw it in, in three dimensions uh, to see whether, whether the, I don't know, the relationship look good, uh, the, the ratios look good, and then I'll do a material selection. So oh, I'd like to do this in this material and that material. Start getting my materials together. Yeah. And um, then just once the plan is made, I literally sign it and say, okay, this is it. The day that I sign it is the day that it's done. Otherwise, you'll spend years designing these things, right? Yeah. Um, and then you go out, you gather material, and uh, now it's a matter of finding time to make that little puppy. Yeah, well, that's the, it. The design process is literally old school draftsman where you sit your ass in front of a table with a piece of paper i don't draw on anything smaller than a3 uh proper nice artist thick paper because i want to keep those drawings right um yeah. and then i've got artist tracing paper um so i've got a center line i'll do out my my uh, ratios in other words the handle i want this break the 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 guard of the quillin i would want this broad or and then you draw it draw it in infinite detail when it comes to the sheath you don't just make the sheath the sheath was drawn as part of the the package whether you wanted a, a, a sheath for this whether it was a display box the dimensions in the display box everything is thought of on paper mm. and then it just becomes a matter of making the thing and now it doesn't I don't, I don't care whether I spend two hours making the blade this week and then four weeks not doing anything because I always go back to my drawing um, and if I've got little short little notes for myself I make them on the drawing and that drawing itself becomes a I don't want to say a piece of art although I study art but no it is just a technical drawing. It's a walking drawing. I can tell you what, I, I, I'm already visualizing a, a framed light box with your you know, multi-layered sketches on it being sold at auction for phenomenal amounts of money. Where it all started. No, <laughs> well, if anyone is interested in my dodgy sketches, yeah, can I give you my telephone number? <laughs> no, dude, no. Um, I do have a portfolio that I carry around when I go visit mates because um, none of my friends actually draw these things out. Um, and it is just a matter of sitting your butt down and planning on paper. But this is the thing that no one really enjoys. Mm. Yeah, is planning. You just want to get to the forge and hit still, right? But you get I to a point it, where you realise, um, look, quite helpful to do process steps on. If I'm doing a, I recently did my first forged kukri. Not, I don't do stock removal, so everything's <sighs> got to be forged from raw materials, and I, I know what stock I'm starting with. But the preform of a kukri is everything, as I'm sure you know. I'm telling this to yes. Niels Vandenberg. You don't need to hear that. Uh, <laughs> and so, I can draw it. Doesn't mean I can make it. <laughs> so what I, I start with, the I, I did it out of um, a, a huge file that I had, an old file from the 1930s. And um, it had a nice rectangular profile. And I, I drew the rectangular profile. Like, All right, what's the next step I'm going to do? And then what's the next step? And I... I just ended up with this big long sheet of drawings of the stages that I would go through to actually get the shape out of the steel. And it worked well until I started having to think in three dimensions because hammering out the bevel on a kukri is a difficult thing to do, which I had no idea until afterwards. And I was talking to my co-host Sam about it, that the smiths that made them originally for the Gurkhas did it on a domed anvil. And it makes a lot of sense oh, when you're actually trying to hammer out the bevel on a kukri. Anybody that's listening that's wondering what I'm talking about, give it a go. See what, <laughs> see what happens. Well, it makes sense. 
It makes sense because you, you're using a rounding hammer, right? That's right. You round at the bottom, round at the top, so it's the top and bottom filament that you're using. So oh, yeah. that should make your life a lot easier. That's right. I mean, I struggled with it and said some very choice words while I was struggling with it until I finally figured out to hammer it out <laughs> over the uh, the bick of the anvil, the horn of the anvil. Yeah. Um, and I, I've never hammered a bevel on the horn of the anvil before. It made no sense to me because I'd never had something with that aggressive of a belly on it before, but it worked beautifully. And then to find out after the fact that they were done on domed anvils, it's just something that had never entered my thought process in the past because anvils to me have always been flat surfaces. Yeah, but now if you go and find, what you'll now find, if you now go and draw this, the, the process again, um, you'll see that there's a load of different ways that you'll be able to approach this thing. And, and uh, uh, you'll just probably have six or seven extra steps in there. You'll have more detail in there. And the next time you forge that thing, if you follow the, the second sketch, you'll get there quicker. And mm. then you're going to refine the process again. So it's a learning process. But That's putting right. it on paper is where you remember it. Because I can't even remember what I had for breakfast freaking <laughs> a year ago on Tuesday the 4th of July, right? If the copper ever comes to me and he says... Niels, where were you? I was just going to say, buddy, just lock me up. I can't remember. <laughs> so if I don't write it down or record it on a video, then then it's lost, man. And, and my wife will agree with that. <laughs> I think that's part, part so of for, the combination of being a blacksmith and a husband, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Look, my wife has always been honest with me, straight to damn honest. Um, so... When, I love it when people come to me and say, look, uh, what do you think about this knife? And I, I, I have to ask, look, do you want me to tell you you've just made a beautiful piece? Um, or do you want to walk away crying? So what do you need me to tell you here? Um, and obviously, for me, that person is my wife. And she is just dead honest, man. Yeah. She'll go, so what were you thinking? It's just like, I hope you haven't showed this to anyone. <laughs> okay, what? That's not that bad. And she goes, really? Put 80 hours into this. <laughs> or she'll, or she'll, every now and then she'll, she'll uh, pop in on a, on a webcast and she'll go, hmm, hmm. And I'll go, okay, hold on, boys. I need to chat to my wife before I make any other decisions. From it. <laughs> Quickly hit the mute button. <laughs> and you go, uh, what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> no, 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 no! Don't do it like this. You know this is from past experience. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, okay, all right. So she grounds me very, very well. And it's just a, a, a tip: if you are thinking of going pro, and you don't have your spouse's permission, yeah, <laughs> uh, good luck with that. Yes. Um, my wife has just got. She doesn't want to know anything about my knife making or the knife making career or anything or like that. In other words, a lot of makers locally will get their families involved. In other words, uh, their wives will start doing their admin and dealing with clients and oh, uh, some of them even like enjoy that. hand. Yeah. Uh, my wife just said, "Look, this is your thing. Done. Good luck with that." <laughs> so she'll come to knife shows, um, but she normally costs me money. Yeah, right. Because you go around buying knives. The shopping trip. <laughs> <laughs> so if her and the kids pop up, I know that I'm losing money on that show, right? Um, but it is extremely important because you're going to be spending a lot of time in the shop, right? Um, mm. And if you've got a, a little office in the in the house, um, that's where you're going to be finding yourself. Uh, it is worse than an eight to five job. If you work for yourself, you work twenty four seven. That's um, right. And you end up dreaming knives, making knives, and uh, you kind of will lose touch with your family. Just like a lot of knife makers kind of lose touch with reality, uh, mm. especially two weeks before a show. I'm uh, coming up. But I was rambling the, again. I, I was. I'm coming up on the tenth anniversary with my lovely wife, and she's probably the most patient woman on the planet. Um, uh, Congratulations. I um, describe her as the guardian of the gates of my solitude, because she's that person that says, "You know what? You 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 just want to go and do that thing, and you know be." To do your crazy work off in the workshop somewhere, make a lot of noise, throw a lot of sparks. I'll make sure that nobody bothers you while you're doing that. And she's excellent. She's very good at reading when I need somebody to go. That's amazing. I love what you did. And when I actually want feedback, <laughs> she's good at reading it on as I'm approaching. Oh, excellent! <laughs> so, so excellent, excellent, excellent. <laughs> so it's um, it, it is very important though, especially I've been I've been doing my blacksmithing full time now for. Ooh, about 18 months coming up to two years and it's hard and like you said the hours are sometimes yes, 24 hours it's i do 12 to 16 hour days and like you said if you do not have the full support of your spouse it leads to problems 
Yes, it, it will. It will. Um, I mean, they need to know exactly what they get into. I mean, in the States, there is a, a thing where uh, the American Baseball Society actually... Uh, 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 man, um, I can't come to the right phrase. They, they honor knife makers' wives. Right. Yeah. So there's a, a knife maker's wife club, but they've got meetings, they've got blood, and it's got nothing to do with knife making. Are they called the Bladesmith Widows? <laughs> I, <laughs> I think there might be a special portion. <laughs> Bladesmith counseling sessions. <laughs> that's right. But yeah, I haven't and, seen and, my and, husband and in just... four days. <laughs> yeah. You also have the issue where your bath rusts, by the way. My what, sorry? Your bath? You know the no. water outlet in your bath? Oh, no. Where it oh. rusts? No, I don't have that. No, I, I do. <laughs> so my wife, uh, for instance, I'm not allowed to, uh, to bath. And if I want to take a bath, I have to take a shower first. Right. She, she believes that uh, it is me that's rusting up the bath. It's just the Whether iron. Whether that's true or not, I'm just going to put it out there. The iron is just so embedded in you by this point that you just oxidize Especially everything if, that comes near you. Yeah, man, if I get down to the coast, my hands start rusting. So two, three days, it looks like I've got uh, yellow fever. It is just madness. It is really ridiculous. But I think it's because of the amount of grinding that we spend doing, um, the, the fine dust. I, I yeah, because uh, I work at Charcoal Forge, my hands are actually permanently stained black along my fingers, and it looks like I have never washed my hands. But no matter how much I wash, it's just it's <laughs> embedded in my skin now. It's uh, just just blacksmith things, I think. It's just <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you if you always decide smell, that you you smell you like clean your hands. Oh yeah, and if you want to clean your hands, it's going to take you two hours, and you're thinking, mm, where's that industrial nail brush? I, I buy that. Uh, do you get Solvol over where you are? No, it's a I don't know the brand. It's a type of. It's it, you can't really call it soap. It feels like you're you're rubbing yourself with a piece of limestone, really. But it does lather up like soap. But it it cleans. Up until I took up blacksmithing, it had managed to clean off anything off my hands because I fixed my own cars, so oil stains and transmission fluid and things like no problem. Solvol just wiped it right off. Charcoal being burnt into your skin no, doesn't even touch it. <laughs> Different story. Yeah, blacksmith problems, man. Yeah. So I, I use a lot of silica grit hand cleaner. Um, okay. A lot of them. Yeah, and uh, there is a product that Stan, uh, we were talking about him earlier, uh, done in Cape Town. Uh, Wurz, uh, uh, I can't even, it's, it's a red logo, German company. Um, and they sell this hand cleaner, which has got a very, very fine silica grit in it. Um, that worked like a charm. But now that's in Cape Town, right? So up here in Joburg, where I'm at. Hmm. <laughs> I even asked the sales lady whether I should pay extra for service. So there you go, Wurtz, South Africa. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to say you suck, but you're very close to that. <laughs> you just start buying Brilliant products, but if, if I could just pay them for it, it would be brilliant, right? Um, yeah. But anyway, so I, I'm desperately trying to get a hold of that, and it's now two and a bit weeks. And uh, four or five co phone calls later, I still haven't got it. Still chasing. Now that it. I've used it, yeah, man. And it, it's it's one of those things. If you if you don't have the tool, you don't miss the tool. But once you've used it, and you see the advantage, and now I really want that, and I can't get it, and that's just frustrating. Yeah, frustrating. So uh, I've asked Stan to to order me a bit from Cape Town. So he actually orders it out of Joburg, ships it down to Cape Town, and then he's going to ship it back to me. Right. <laughs> but that stuff I will get in my shop. You, you ought to uh, try and become a stockist for it and get get other blacksmiths onto it. I mean, that that was the whole idea. Because uh, in my shop, um, I only stock the stuff that I actually use. So I won't stock any belts that I don't personally use. Um, I do a lot of belt testing for uh, VSM Germany, uh, FAT out here in South Africa. Um, and uh, we've recently started doing for uh, a, a company in Korea as well, mm. um, Starkey, which is one of the most phenomenal uh ceramic plus belts i've ever used it is just absolutely ridiculous look it's expensive but man i haven't cross come across anything in the world that outperforms this thing but when so, they uh, when they work that well it's worth the extra expense it actually ends up working out oh, yes really yeah yeah and uh, it is just an, a phenomenal product now these guys they they do service right 
Honestly, uh, I mean, that, I did the test for them. Um, I told them, look, uh, the six belts you gave me, there's no way I'm seeing it back. And I said, well, they need at least one to go and analyze. And I'm going, okay, cool, I'll give you one back. And that was, that, that was almost six months ago, and those five belts are still running in my shop. Oh, jeez. You cannot believe it. They, they just, the backing, uh, the backing is coming through on the grit in the front, and they still profile like a new belt. It's just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, so the that. price I paid for them is, man, it is, it is it's just, I, I don't even think about it. So now I just order them 30 at a time. I don't even do 6, 10. I just bring 30, done. Yeah. I just finished building a new 2x72 today, actually. That's what I came in from the shop doing. So I, I'm going to be looking for some oh, new Excellent. Belts. Yeah. You're going to need to send me on some a- photos of that, right? Well, yeah, it's on my Instagram profile. I was very proud of it. I've called it Frankie because it's a Franken-grinder. It's been built out of so many different parts. <laughs> it's Frankie the Franken-grinder. <laughs> I like grinder. that. Yeah. But, Excellent, um, man. It, uh, it runs like a champ. The, the tracking system is an old door hinge. <laughs> if it works, it ain't stupid. Yeah, the only part that hasn't been <laughs> rough fabricated is the actual wheels on it So and, and the motor. <laughs> Excellent. But it's one well, of I've those seen guys, need, a, need a tool, make a tool, you know? Tool, exactly, exactly, exactly. And this is the beauty about this whole craft, is that um, I literally started this thing, and, and my wife told me, look, if you're going to take this up, you're not allowed to spend more than a thousand rand, which is, compared to the dollar, is nothing, right? Um, and amazingly, this thing paid for itself from, from day one. I, I used files in the beginning, and uh, then sold the knife to mates, well, you knew something about that, mate, and you kind of coerced him into selling or buying your knife, uh, finance the next two, and, and so forth and so forth. And eventually I saved up and built my first grinder, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and then the second grinder, I decided, mm, started building a second one, and I thought, crap, man, I've actually got money in the bank for this thing, so let's go and buy one. Yeah. Um, and, and tool up and die is a real thing, a real, yeah. real, real thing. And that's why I love traveling to, to other makers' of shops. Um, is you get to play with what they've made mm. and uh, come back with ideas to enhance your own process. Um, and you were talking about uh, Alex Steele earlier. I mean, that, that kid, man, the way that him and, and, and Will approach this entire business is just phenomenal. And that's the reason I went out there to go and have a look at how he runs this business, which is YouTube, the channel, content creation. Um, and aside from that, uh, they just those two guys are just having way too much freaking fun, man. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. You, you don't see them crying on videos because they burnt their fingers or blah, blah, blah. Look, it's entertainment and we know that. But uh, yeah. they got one thing right where they said, look, if I need a piece of equipment, they will do the research and they will buy the best they can afford. Mm. And especially if this thing is has got a bit of a reputation, they'll go and use it, and then they'll go back to the manufacturer and actually bring that into the business, which is brilliant. Um, and that's where Alec is going now. With the, I don't know if you've seen, he's opened the little supply shop on the side now. Yes, I saw that. We'll be, yeah, I, I saw a day or two ago, he got a shipment of hammers from uh, Ethan Hardy, which is a brilliant blacksmith, by the way. I, I respect. Man, those kids in the States. Hey. When yeah. I was 14 years old, I was thinking of playing in mud, man. I was thinking of freaking hitting stuff with a hammer. It's, it's uh, amazing, actually, because what you were talking about with the pr- practice of the grinders, um, this sort of does go on to a point. Having less, having fewer tools to actually play with can, if you are determined to have a high-quality end product, make you a better smith. Um, I before having yes, this before having Frankie the Franken grinder, I did everything on a one by thirty grinder, three hundred seventy five watt motor on it, and because of that, it made me get very very good at forging very close to finish. I'd get about ninety five percent to shape through just forging in a charcoal forge with a hand crank blower, and I got very very good at it because I had no grinding power to be able to profile anything. Even the bevels had to be hand hammered in as close as possible. Um, down to a one mil thickness on the edge just so that I could Brilliant. actually use the grinder that I had. And once you go through all that process, when you finally do have a 2 by 72 it's still as a cleanup machine, basically. It's just a better cleanup yeah. machine. And now it just takes a bit faster. Well, it goes a bit faster. You're more stable. You can yeah. hog away more material um, quicker. You can the, also screw the belt, up a bit quicker. The, the belt doesn't stop moving <laughs> when I press too hard. <laughs> Oh, excellent. 
But uh, yeah, you're making a valid point because that you had to go and and perfect that technique of forging so that you could move onto the grinder and not spend hours there because you didn't have the power behind it. Mm, um, I mean, now the same thing was for me. I, I mean, I had to do it with freaking files, right? Um, and that just took forever. So my first thing was, how do I get rid of all this fire scope? Mm. And lo and behold, the hydrochloric acid speaking to a mate that was a chemist. And he said, well, what is this fire scale thing? I gave him the chemical composition, and he came back within a half, and I said, hey, you know what swimming pool acid will get rid of that? It'll eat it away, and you'll be left with no fire scale. And go, what? <laughs> this is great. Speaking to different people really helps. And, and uh, from that, the whole reason why we teach and, and sharing knowledge so that not every single guy that starts out have to go through this. But That's the nice it. thing is that you had to, and now that skill with the hammer is set, right? So mm. now with Frankie the Franken-Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you, you... Have you fired it? Well, you said you built it today, right? I did. Um, I, I did fired you, it up. Did and you get I, to play a bit? I actually, I forged up a, uh, some... Uh, what I do when I make Damascus billets is if it fails and it gets cracks through it, I will still turn it into jewelry because then it's not wasted. Um, and yeah. it's... I had a heap of those... Uh, jewelry billets that needed to be all profiled and everything so i thought that's a perfect opportunity to test out frankie and it threw sparks like i couldn't believe it was just phenomenal uh so uh, yeah the tracking worked more or less good (laughs) it's it's not perfect but it works but the power in that machine always upgrade yeah i've got a 1.5 horsepower engine on there and it's just oh that's good it just rips through it so and it's just using cheap aluminium oxide belts but you know that you 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 may do with what you can afford at the start and you you know you go up from there and um, to be honest, um, I'm, I'm impressed. After doing everything on a 1x30, I, I, I think having that skill set is really going to translate quite well. I've, I've learned to be economical with my grinding. Excellent, man. But, Pretty sure you're going to enjoy that grinder. It sounds like you are going to Yeah, well, that's right. And speaking of tools, I know my other co-host, uh, Nils Ogren, will uh, he asks every guest that we have onto the show this question. And I know that he'll be listening back to this episode and he'll be mad at me because I haven't asked you this question yet. Um, but uh, I'm going to throw it at you towards the end here. Um, he likes to know, what is the story behind your main anvil? Where'd you get it? How big is it? What make is it? Well, the make, I actually don't know. It is a complete unmarked anvil. Um, and I came across it while I was doing steel diving in a scrapyard um, right. this thing was was used to keep their one of their storerooms the door open <laughs> i walked up to this thing and i, I, I kind of kicked it like you would a secondhand car tire and uh, the owner happened to come around the corner and he says well i see you're looking at this thing i'm going yes sir um what is it he goes it's an anvil i'm going well is that what they look like <laughs> trying to play dumb um and i said well you be interested in selling this and here comes what you're going to use it for i'm thinking well uh, i've seen this uh, this guy at a flea market and he was hitting steel and uh, maybe i should try this lot americans well if you give me five rand a kilogram and like i mentioned the the rand dollar rate um so i went out there now scrap steel in south africa comes sells for like seven rand a kg so this was this was about nine years ago so i paid i think it was man two thousand rand a 200 kilogram anvil um, wow. and uh, that was with the the, the the odd 100 rand I had to give the, his neighbor uh, with his forklift to lift this thing into the back of my Land Rover <laughs> um, yeah I'm a Land Rover guy right uh, <laughs> but yeah so it came back it was in a complete utter state um, I had no idea how to restore this thing um, so I ended up uh, listening to other guys and going out and buying hard facing rods and with my little oil bath arc welder, um, where I could barely weld, um, stick welder, try to weld this thing up, and, and it got, man, uh, metal contamination and little bubbles in the weld, and this thing cracked like 10 minutes after I welded it, but it's now 10 years, well, 9 years later, um, she gets hit with a hammer quite hard, quite often, and I have had a chip fly out uh, about 2 weeks ago. All right. So, yeah. Ten uh, years. Dodgy restoration, and uh, she's been going like an absolute monster, man. It is still my favorite anvil. Uh, although I have, at one point, I had eight anvils. Now I've got, I'm down to four. 
two 200 kilograms, both unmarked. Um, and I think the South African Railroad uh, imported those from Germany, as far as I can understand. But it's got no markings on them. And then uh, I've got a Brooks 102 kilogram and a Brooks uh, 87. Right. But those are my four anvils, my babies. Yeah, they all, uh, the, yeah. They, they all get pulled out in the classes, don't they? Yeah, they, they permanently set up and the, the guys will, whether my guys or the other guys, uh, everyone kind of has their favourite. Yeah, right. But I, I like the I like the original one. Yeah. It's, uh, the one that is that has kind of taught me how to beat steel. And I say taught me. Um, he taught me not to miss because <laughs> I have hit myself in the, on the forehead with a hammer. <laughs> so it's got an incredible bounce to it. Yeah. It's the it's the thing that shocks most people when when they come and see a forge is that they think that an anvil is just some inanimate object that has no no moving parts so it's essentially just a lump of steel but then you show them just how much bounce they have and people are shocked. Yeah. Um and and I I say uh, all my anvils have got different personalities because they they work differently. Um they've got a different feel when you work on them and uh, uh I mean if I really want to hit stuff really hard um, I will not be working on my anvil. I'll go to one which uh, has got a bit of a softer give, not as much of a uh, much feedback. Yeah. Um, and I personally find people say that I'm, I'm thinking too much about it, but I, I honestly believe that it, uh, every single one of them have got a reason it's in my shop. Yeah. And I like using them for different jobs. Yeah. I'm def- definitely with and you. And they're on mine, that. and I can do with them what I want. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I've got to be. Well, left that's my with- argument, and I'm stick to it. I'm going to be learning a new anvil soon. Next week, actually, I'm going to be... Um, uh, I, I live in a fairly historic area of, of the island that I live on, and um, the estate nearby uh, is about 200 years old. And it had wow. a, an anvil from... Uh, next year, it will be exactly 200 years old. And it was, has been sitting there all that time, and they had to use a front-end loader to actually get it down to my workshop. And um, I've been looking for a stump big enough for this thing because it's a Sawyer's pattern anvil. You know, they don't have the horns on wow. them. They're just the big square, yeah, yeah. but the feet are massive on it. Uh, and it weighs 345 pounds. And uh, Damn. It's, it's a monster. But I've never actually worked with anything that big before. My my daily use anvil is only sixty five pounds, and I get a lot of work done on that wow. thing. So yeah. jumping up to this thing, having that much mass under my work, is actually going to be quite a learning curve. I think you're going to enjoy that. Oh, I think I'm going to love it. I, honestly, <laughs> damn, this is nothing, nothing as gratifying as hitting something, especially if you if your anvil is a is, is quite a small one and you're hitting and it moves. And all of a sudden, you get to a big ass anvil, and you hit, and it just stays there. Yeah, and you can feel the feedback through the metal, and that just gives you that silly grin on your face, right? That's right. And that, in itself, is just an extra hour of fun, man. Yeah, that's you, it. You're not thinking of reasons to spend time on that anvil. Yeah, it's absolutely. Brilliant. I, I think you're going to thoroughly enjoy that. Oh, I'm, I'm really, really hoping for it, to be honest. So, um, normally these shows run for about an hour, and we're we're coming up to that hour, but um, we'll we'll say the goodbyes but i mean is there any parting messages you'd like to tell to our listeners pieces of wisdom yeah don't screw up (laughs) (laughs) think about the process before you start just jumping in and making it Um, i see so many guys uh so excited at the forging stage and screw up at the grinding stage of, of knife making um, realize that this is going to take time and each and every skill builds on the next skill, builds on the next skill. Um, so take your time, enjoy the process. It, I mean, we're doing this, it's supposed to be relaxing, right? Yeah. Um, so learn, and if, you, if you're battling, ask, because there are an extreme community out there, an extremely large community of guys willing to share uh, the process that they go through, the process that they use, and, and uh, the process that you might be using might not be the the correct one for the application. But learn as much as you can, enjoy the process, and then uh, pick that one project that you know is way above your uh, your skill level and build towards being able to make that. But don't try to keep that project in mind. Start the project. Yeah. Start the project, learn the skill, move on to the next level of that project. Mm. Don't, let, uh, don't sit back and try and say, look, one day when I'm all grown up, or one day when I've got the skill under... Uh, my knee then only am I going to approach this project just get it out there that forces you to do your best and uh, good enough is not good enough 
Never settle. Never settle. Well, you, you got to. Someone has to pay the bills, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop now. Well, where, where can our listeners find you if they are not already following you? And shame on them if they're not already following you. But if, if they aren't, where can they find you? Uh, well, on Facebook, Niels van den Berg, uh, or Black Dragon Forge, either one of the two. Um, and then on social media, on uh, well, social media, as of Facebook isn't social media, right? Uh, Instagram, it'll be Niels van den Berg, Black Dragon Forge. On Twitter, Black Dragon Forge. And um, I might be doing the TikTok thing next. Ooh. I don't know. My younger son at 14, or no, 13, is trying to teach me TikTok. TikTok um, makes me uh, feel uh, old, so I'm... I'm Keeping it, it well away from it. It does. <laughs> and he, he's 13 years old and he's got almost a thousand followers. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I saw outside, there, there's quite a few blacksmiths on there. So, um, yeah, I, I'll definitely be installing it tonight. Yeah, right. I might have to follow you. I haven't even got a thousand followers on my Instagram yet. Oh, no, uh, man. No, no, no. <laughs> Just be consistent. And I've seen the stuff that you've been posting. Just be consistent um, and let people into your life. People buy into who you are. That's it. Um, and uh, they want to they wanna enjoy the process with you. Yeah. And let them. That's it. Is that. Yeah. I mean, I try and keep that up on the Instagram and the, the YouTube. I mean, I don't you, – you can't think of it as a money-making platform. You've got to think of it as a humanizing platform. Um, you know, do what you love and the money will come, but you've just got to do it hard and often. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, uh, the whole possible. idea is build an audience. And once you have something to sell, there will be someone who will stick up their hands and saying, look, I would be willing to, to, to take this off your hands if yeah. the money's right. right? That's, that's yeah. right. All right. Well, um, you can find my co-hosts who are absent um, at Sam Towns Bladesmith on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can follow Nils at Nils Ogren on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. He's just recently put up one of his rare YouTube videos. And you can follow me at Valhalla Ironworks on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Etsy. Um, thanks very much, Niels, for coming on. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to talk to you, and I've been fanboying this entire time but trying to keep it together to maintain a bit of professionalism. But uh, this is this is something I'll remember for a while. I'm a big fan of your work, and I'll uh, look forward to continuing to follow on with what you're doing. I appreciate uh, the time and uh, you guys setting out saying, hey, do you want to do this? I really enjoy it, and uh, thank you for having me, man. No problems. And we'll uh, see everybody uh, next week with... Uh, I don't think we have a guest lined up, but uh, there will be more interesting topics for sure. So I uh, hope everyone has a great day. 